Section six of Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Gonzales. Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume One: Exploration of the World by Jules Verne. First Part, Chapter Four, Part One. Marco Polo, twelve fifty three to thirteen twenty four. The Genoese and Venetian merchants could not fail to be much interested in the explorations of the rape travellers in Central Asia, India, and China, for they saw that these countries would give them new openings for disposing of their merchandise, and also great benefit to be derived by the West from being supplied with the production of the East. The interest of commerce stimulated fresh explorations and it was this motive that actuated two noble venetians to leave their homes and brave all the fatigue and danger of a perilous journey these two venetians belonged to the family of polo which had come originally from dalmatia and owing to successful trading had become opulent as to be reckoned among the patrician families of venice these two venetians belonged to the family of polo which had come originally from dalmatia and owing to successful trading had become so opulent as to be reckoned among the patrician families of venice in twelve sixty the two brothers nicholas and matteo who had lived for some years in constantinople where they had established a branch house went to crimea with a considerable stock of precious stones where the eldest brother andrea polo had his place of business thence taking a northeasterly direction and crossing the country of the Comans, they reached the camp of Bakai Khan on the Volga. This Mongol prince received the two merchants very kindly, and bought all the jewels they offered him, at double their value. Niccolo and Matteo remained a year in the Mongolian camp, but a war breaking out this time between Bakai and Holagu, the conqueror of Persia, and two brothers, not wishing to be in the midst of a country where war was being waged, went to Bokhara, and where they remained three years. But when Balkai was vanquished and his capital taken, the partisans of Hulago induced the two Venetians to follow them to the residence of the Grand Khan of Tartary, who was sure to give them a hearty welcome. This Kublai Khan, the fourth son of Genghis Khan, was Emperor of China, and Lushin had his summer palace in Mongolia, on the frontier of the Chinese Empire. The Venetian merchants set out and were wholly crossing the immense extent of country lying within Bakura, at the northern limits of China. Kublai Khan was much pleased to receive the strangers from this gent west. He fetched them, and asked, with much eagerness, for any information that they could give him of what was happening in Europe, requiring details of the government of the various kings and emperors, and their methods of making war. And he then conversed at some length about the Pope and the state of Latin Church, Matteo and Nicola fortunately spoke a Tartar language fluently, so they could freely answer all the emperor's questions. It had occurred to Kublai Khan to send messengers to the Pope, and he seized the opportunity to beg the two brothers to act as his ambassadors to his holiness. The merchants thankfully accepted his proposal, for they foresaw that this new character would be very advantageous to them. The emperor had some charters drawn up in the Turkish language, asking the Pope to send a hundred learned men to convert his people to Christianity, and then he appointed one of his barons named Kogatal to accompany them, 
and then he charged them to bring him some oil from the sacred lamp, which he perpetually burning before the tomb of Christ at Jerusalem. The two brothers took leave at the Khan, having been furnished with passports by him, which put both man and horse at their disposal throughout the empire, and in 1266 they set out on the journey. Soon the Baron Kogotel fell ill, and the Venetians were obliged to leave him and continue their journey. But in spite of all the aid that he had given to them, they were three years in reaching the port of Laias, in Armenia, now known by the name of Isis. Leaving this port, they arrived in Acre until 69, where they heard the death of Pope Clement IV, to whom they were sent, but the legate Theobald lived in Acre and received the Venetians, learning what the object of their mission he begged them to wait for the election of the new pope. The brothers had been absent from the country for fifteen years, so they resolved to return to Venice. At Negroport, they embarked on board a vessel that was going direct to the native town. On landing there, Nicola was met by a news of the death of his wife, and the birth of his son, who had been born shortly after his departure in 1254, the son who was celebrated Marco Polo. The two brothers waited at Venice for the election of the Pope, but at the end of two years, as it had not taken place, they thought they could no longer defer the return to the Emperor of Mongols, accordingly started for Acre, taking Marco Polo with them, who could not have been more than seventeen. At Acre they had an interview with the legate Theobald, who authorized them to go to Jerusalem, and there to procure some of the sacred oil. This mission accomplished, the Venetians returned to Acre, and asked the legate to give them letters to Kublai Khan, mentioning the death of Pope Clement V. He complied with their request, and they returned to Laias or Isis. There, to their great joy, they learned that the delegate Theobald had been made Pope with the title of Gregory X on the 1st of September, 1271. The newly elected Pope sent at once for the Venetian envoys, and the King of Armenia placed a galley at the disposal to expedite the return to Acre. The Pope received them with much affection, and gave them letters to the Emperor of China. He added two preaching friars, Nicholas of Vicenza and Willow of Tripoli, to their party, and gave them his blessing on their departure. They went back to Laias, but had scarcely arrived before they were made prisoners by the soldiers of the Mameluk Sultan Bibars, who was their departure, who was then ravaging Armenia. The two preaching friars were so discouraged at this upset of the expedition that they gave up all idea of going to China, and left the two Venetians and Marco Polo to prosecute the journey together as best they could. Here begins what may properly be called Marco Polo's travels. It is a question if he really visited all the places that he describes, and it is probable that he did not, in fact. In the narrative written at his dictation by a restriction of Pisa, it is stated, Marco Polo, a wise and noble citizen of Venice, so nearly all here and described with his own eyes, and what he did not see he learned from the lips of truthful and credible witnesses. But we must add that the greater part of kingdoms and towns spoken of by Marco Polo his attended visit. We will follow the route he describes, simply pointing out what a traveller learned by hearsay. During the important missions with which he was charged by Kublai Khan, during his second journey the travellers did not follow the same exact route as on the first occasion of their first visit to the Emperor of China. They lengthened their route by passing to the north of the celestial mountains, but now they turned to the south of them, and through this route was shorter than the other, they were three years and a half in accomplishing the journey, being much impeded by the rains and the difficulty of crossing the great rivers.
Their course may be easily followed with the helpful map of Asia, as you have substituted the modern names in place of the ancient ones used by Marco Polo in his narrative. End of first part, chapter four, part one. Recording by Paul Gonzalez in Cavita, Philippines.